it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <laughs> Well, welcome back, everybody. This is the SEC Football Show. I'm your host, TJ Pittenger, joined, as always, by Chris Landry. How you doing today, Chris? What's going on? I am doing well, getting ready for a big weekend of football coming up, and uh, it was good to get a little action uh, under our belt this past weekend, and uh, look forward to chatting it up with everybody here today. Yeah, for sure. So I'm excited, and we'll kind of jump right into it. Um, let's break down this Florida Miami game. We we just kind of got done talking about it on the ACC show, so we'll try to be too repetitive for those of you that listen to both. But we definitely want to make sure we cover everything. Tell us about this. Uh, your kind of takeaways and what your thoughts were with the the Gators getting a big win there in Orlando. Well, first of all, you get a win under your belt. Always important. Uh, it was certainly far from a clean game. I thought that. They made some nice adjustments in the game defensively early. I thought um, Miami had a good game plan, good offensive series, kind of got Florida off balance a little bit first series, made some good adjustments, um, and and really changed a little of their coverage looks and forced uh, Jaron Williams to hold on to the ball a little bit more. And obviously with the pressure and the advantages they had getting to the quarterback, uh, it got – Miami out of sync a little bit pretty quickly. Uh, defensively, there were certainly far too many missed tackles, certainly mental errors, you know, hitting people out of bounds and giving free 15 yards, uh, you know, third and long tackling a guy because you just don't do a good job staying in your landmark, staying in phase and coverage, and you panic uh, or you get frustrated and you grab a guy and you cost yourself. Those are mental errors that you just you just can't have. Um, they were costly. I thought that, you know, I mean, listen, first half alone, Florida fumbled twice, once inside the Miami's 10 yard line. I I thought there were close early. I thought the momentum changed, obviously after the fake punt and I could see a scenario where Florida was going to kind of distance themselves from Miami, but the mistakes prevented that from happening. And then and as I mentioned on the ACC show, Miami then had a chance to kind of distance themselves from Florida because of all the mistakes 
Florida was making, but then Miami made so many, many mistakes that they couldn't, they couldn't handle any prosperity and mistakes that were gifted to them. They couldn't put it away. And in the end, Florida was able to make, um, you know, one more play or two to overcome their mistakes. I thought, you know, there are terms we use in, in scouting and coaching, and it's kind of refers to a tennis term, unforced errors or forced errors. You know, there are mistakes that you make that are pressure induced by the opponent. And then there are unforced errors, mistakes, the errors that you make that really are more about what you don't do. And I thought Florida had more unforced errors in this game. Um, I will say this, that I think that there's always an overreaction to early games um, because that's the definition of what they think the team's going to be. That's it. Which you saw that, well, it's never it. A team never stays the same. As I've said before, over and over again, you never stay the same. Either get better or you get worse. So it's the progression or regression in some cases of a team that is always intriguing to follow as the season goes along. I I do think that this Florida defense is talent and will play well. I think that the season will be productive. I think for the folks that think that they're as good as Georgia, you know, I think are mistaken and probably overrate them. I think the people that think this team is going to fall apart and lose four or five games are underrating them. They're, they're better than that and probably not as good as, as some people think. They're somewhere in between, and I don't define a team by their wins and losses. I know other people do. I don't because defining your team by wins and losses are defining what they are. Well, your wins and losses are a byproduct of who you are relative to who you're playing. And I think this Florida team – uh, can be a really good defensive team. I think they've got playmakers on offense. I think they've got to get more consistency uh, out of Franks. Franks, to me, is the same guy that – I'm not going to say he's the same guy he's always been. I, I think there are limitations in this game. I think he's a slow processor in the pocket. I think that he makes a lot of good throws, or he makes some good throws. Let's leave it at that. But he makes – still a lot of bad throws. And the reason is that he does it based upon route specific and receiver specific throws and without a real fundamental recognition of coverages. And that's why he'll make a great throw down the seam. That's as good as any you're going to see on Saturday or Sunday. And he'll make a boneheaded play that you just figure out what is that and where did that come from? And that's the reason for the inconsistency. And I think that, you know, Dan is not a guy that that Dan's going to transform into a completely different guy. So the whole, well, you know, the, the media assumption, I always get a kick out of it. Well, he's turned the corner and boy, he's going to be really good. That, 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 that doesn't drastically change. The fundamental point, guys get better or sometimes they get worse, but Mostly you get better, but the best way you get better is put them in a position to be successful. And that's what I thought Dan Mullen did a good job last year. And I think what he'll do well this year is he'll kind of try to simplify things a little more um, and kind of keep Felipe away from those mistakes that will rear its ugly head and kind of make him free to go out and make some plays. And, And I think, Look, you've got to give Miami and Florida credit in that they're playing a game against better opponents 
than other people are playing. So the mistakes are going to be magnified, particularly since everybody's watching the game. But for Florida's standpoint, they get a win and a lot of things to correct. From a coaching standpoint, you can almost coach this as a loss because there are a lot of things you can improve upon. And I think that a lot of the players, while happy with the win, realize that they didn't play all that well and that that performance gets you beat a few times this year. And so that is the impetus to make sure that your awareness is heightened to the point that you improve upon it and prove upon it dramatically. The other thing to keep in mind, and I mentioned this last week in the preview of this game, look out for turnovers, look out uh, for missed tackles. My film grade notes from watching the game, turnovers, mental mistakes, missed tackle. Missed tackles occur a lot, and often turnovers occur a lot in early season games because you're not the physicality portion of the game is just not there enough in practice in today's football. Whereas I think obviously the seven on seven, the passing skill is a little bit more advanced because you practice that more. So I I think it's, it is natural to, it is not an excuse. It's in fact, almost expected that you should be better week two, week three, week four, week five, progressively as you practice more. See, in week four, you're think of how many practices you've had throughout the spring, throughout the summer, you know, August in preparation for the season. And just think how many more practices you're going to have by week four or week five in the season. Everybody. I mean, a lot more. That's why you get a whole lot better. You see that a lot in the NFL. It's a big reason why a Bill Belichick coach defense is a whole lot better in late November than it is in September. It's an accumulation of practices over time. So well-coached teams get better as the year goes along. So it's a good litmus test. Now, there there, there are some teams that regress because of injuries and other situations. But in terms of the fundamental coaching and the teaching, what I saw, the biggest problem with Florida, bad angles to the football. Now, bad angles to the football can be – exploited more when you're playing against good people, good athletes. Whereas you take the same bad angles against a lesser opponent, the big play doesn't result as a byproduct. So the thought is that it wasn't as bad of a play. Well, it is just as bad of a play fundamentally and technique wise. It's just that the opponent doesn't take advantage of it as much when you're playing a lesser opponent and an opponent like this, it just kind of exposes a mistake that more, much more. So I don't look at it as the doom and gloom for Florida. I think they'll get better. I don't know how many games they're going to win. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about that or concern myself with that. I know other people do, but as a coach and as a scout, I look at film and say, there's a lot of things to work on. I didn't see a lack of effort. I saw dumb mistakes that have got to be cleaned up. I think you gotta you gotta nip that in the bud and you gotta make sure that and let me just say this about the defense and some of the mistakes, hitting guys late out of bounds. Um third and long, you know, losing, you know, leverage and coverage 
and tackling a guy, basically grabbing him. You know, those are things that those are not aggressive mistakes. They're just dumb mistakes, but they're the byproduct of being hyper aggressive. Todd Grantham is is an aggressive coach and he's very successful. But one of the things is, is you're going to make a mistake. You're going to make it going full speed. Well, the byproduct of that is sometimes you take it and you, you cross the line a little bit and sometimes you cross it and you just obliterate the line. And I think we saw that. So the mission is guys, we do not want to dial down our intent, our intensity, but you must be better aware of down distance overall situations, you know, not be foolishly aggressive as to cost yourself 15 yards. Cause there was a lot of plays, a lot of drives that were extended by plays that you gave them in Miami, same thing to Florida. So I think there's a lot that needs to be cleaned up. Um, absolutely. Are you going to get consistently great performances out of Felipe Franks? No, you're not. It's going to be a mixed bag. If you can camouflage it against certain matchups, you can get away with it. He didn't play well against good defenses last year. But I think it's I think you can win with him. I think you got to get the ball out of his hands quicker. And I thought they did a pretty nice job of that for the most part. But in order to get it downfield when you need to, you've got to get into the pocket and he's got to be able to he's got to be able to flip the ball out there. And, and he made some good plays, but you can't make the crucial mistake because that almost it is very close to be talking about a Florida loss with all those mistakes. Well, the same play, the same production or lack thereof was still put on film as I broke it down. But the difference is you're one and all. And so now you build from there. And if you treat it as we got to correct it, like it was a loss, you, there's some good that comes out. If you don't, then it's going to be a season that's going to be a little bit disappointing. So, I mean, TJ, look, this is has a chance to be a good season. I, you know, people that think, again, that Florida is on a par with Georgia, they're not. They don't have the same caliber roster. They're not as talented. doesn't mean they can't beat Georgia. It just means that over the course of the season, unless Georgia comes back to them, Florida's not quite there yet. But they're also a lot better, I think, than what we saw on Saturday night. And I think we'll see that as the season progresses. Yeah, no, I agree. So I have a couple of questions um, that have come through about this game. So I know a lot of times we save questions till last, but they're about this game. And so before we preview uh, the weekend around the SEC, uh, got a couple of here, a couple different ones here. You talked a lot about this already, but the fan wanted to know, is it possible to improve the tackling to the extent that Florida needs in order to be competitive in the SEC? You kind of talked about that. I believe you think it, it, they will, it, but it's I'll not only it's not only not only possible, it's essential. And if you don't get that done, then you're not doing your job as a coach because that is something that oh you either got the wrong guys in and got the wrong guys coaching them because the byproduct of tackling repeatedly, you know, and, and you don't do a lot in pads now, even during the season, but the more you do it, the better you're going to get in anything that you do. So not only is it possible, it is the, probably the reverse. It, it is almost impossible 
to not get better as the season goes along. You would have to you'd have to not give a darn and really be, you know, halfway playing if you don't get better. It is fundamentally something that should improve significantly as the year goes along for everybody, not just Florida. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to ask these two together um, just to kind of get your thoughts because they're, they're kind of similar. Uh, I know we ran about 50 plays on offense, but what do you think about Dan Mullen's play calling? I've seen some fans upset with it, but I think he did a good job. It was just poor execution on a lot of those plays. And then I'm going to ask this one, you know, kind of the same kind of a coaching question. The wide receiver screens were there all night. The Tony play showed that. What did you see that prevented more of those calls with Florida's inability to establish the run? Those plays just made sense to me more than anything else we did. I appreciate your answer. Well, the Tony play didn't show that that the screen was there all night. It showed that it was there on that play. A lot of times where people get confused is when you see a certain uh, style of a play, call, a screen, a draw, whatever the case may be. Boy, we had success. We got away from it. Well, the reason why you got away from it is because the reason it was successful is how the defense was playing you. The defense adjusted. Therefore, what you were doing before is not going to work now. Uh, against this fast flow defense, the screens were uh, were in position to be covered, uh, particularly after the Tony play, a lot more than they were in that part of the game. Now, that was an assignment error by Miami. That wasn't quote unquote there. It was a huge mistake in terms of an identification, um, of a check in Miami. So that was just a case of a mistake. Um, you had a couple of guys out of position and therefore that's the play and, and, and the, the play great, but they were in addition to that, some missed tackles as well. So there, that was really a, a, Great run by Tony, but that was really misassignment and failed execution by Miami. So uh, there's a lot of that that takes place that that's not going to consistently be there time and time again. I, listen, I, I think that the play calling, um, it, it's not so much the play calling when I broke down the tape that was the biggest issue. It was significant mistakes. It was, you know, the turnovers – it was, you know, the, the there were a couple of decisions by Franks that you just, again, he's not doing a good job with coverage recognition, and he's going where he wants to go with the ball in a pre-designed role, which is fine if you you certainly design it that way to limit because he's not he's a little bit slow processing, but you can't throw the football without having simple fundamental coverage recognition, or you get a throw where there's nobody there and he throws it. I mean, you don't throw people say, what is he seeing? Well, that's just the point. He's not seeing anything. He sees in his mind where the ball has got to go, where the receiver is going to go with no conceptual idea of where the coverage is. And therefore you don't see it. It's kind of like, let me put it into this analogy. You're in your car. And you got to take, make a left or make, excuse me, make a right on a certain street. You're going there. Well, that's fine, but you better know that you, you can, you got to slow down and you can turn right on red, but you better make sure there's not a car coming. Cause if you do it, you're going to get T-boned in there and you're in the wrong. Cause you didn't stop and slow down. 
that is the football version of which you've got to be able to recognize what they and, and and there was there's a couple of those that stood out and a couple of more that weren't as egregious as mistakes, but were not the right read on it. So it's listen, I'm not saying you always go back as a coach and say what I could have done better as a play caller. But in most cases, most cases, folks, it's play execution because most people define a good play call as one that works. That's that's a good play call. Boy, that Dan Mullen fake was great, wasn't it? Yeah, it worked. If it doesn't work, what the hell is that moron doing running a fake? That's what the fans are going to say. Okay, I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's a play call on special teams, a play call on offense. Why didn't they run that more? It worked. Well, you know, again, uh, 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 it's very often how you execute it. There's absolutely, I think, should be a concerted effort and will be against certain fronts that they're going to play and certain secondaries that they're going to play to get the ball out quicker. I do think getting the ball in the hands of the playmakers, certainly in the screen game, is going to be pivotal. They've got playmakers at receiver, and I think going downfield should only be the byproduct of man coverages. I'm not letting Felipe put the ball down. And and listen, he could throw it on a rope in, in a short window and then come back and make an awful decision. That's the, the, the yin and yang of what you got with them. But I do think the strength of the offense is the misdirection game and the speed. So as a whole, I like to do that. Well, folks, defenses know that as well. And you're not going to fee- you're going to see some defenses that are athletic as Miami's, but Miami's pretty doggone good. And their fast flow linebackers were in position for the most part to defend the screen game. Now you could make the case they didn't tackle very well either. And maybe you try it and maybe you break some tackles. So there's some merit to that, but I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Yeah, for sure. Well, hey, before we get into looking ahead at uh, next week's game, or I'm sorry, this weekend's games, I uh, want to remind everybody that we are actually in a couple of conversations with some folks now, um, uh, some different people that are looking to partner with us. And if that's something that interests you, you've got a small business, big business, you you kind of want to get your name out there, get, have us help you with that. We obviously have the five different conference podcasts, not just this one. It kind of cater to the entire U.S. Um, as college football is kind of spread out everywhere, as well as the national college and pro shows that Chris do. If you have any interest there, you can shoot me an email, tj at big3rollup.com. You can also go to Chris Landry's website, Landry Football, and click on Contact Chris. We'd be more than happy to kind of connect you with the right people. We want to make sure things are a good fit. And so we're entertaining some of those conversations now. And we're more than happy to chat with you if that's something that you think you'd like to partner on as well. Um, all right, Chris, so looking ahead at some of these games, a lot of games this weekend. Some I know people aren't maybe very excited about if they don't include their team, but we're still going to break down all of them. Let's start on Thursday night, Texas A&M, Jimbo and the Aggies. Welcome in Texas State there. What are your thoughts around that game? Well, it's uh, not going to be pretty for Texas State. Um, you know, it's going to be, a, a, I think, a nice work 
for A&M to get a little bit of a lather. They get ready for Clemson, and they've got Auburn coming up in a few weeks. So, um, you know, I, listen, the challenge for Jimbo is to get his guys focused. And people may say, well, what's the focus? You're going to win the game. What's the matter? No, what's important is that you use this opportunity like you do in a practice to get better. And so I think the play at the line of scrimmage is something I'm looking for. They're replacing a lot of guys on the defensive line. They're not going to get a lot of resistance, but I want to see that play there. Uh, how many young guys can they get in the game? That's going to be key. Uh, if the offensive line can give Kellen Mond time, um, he can. this offense can do a lot of special things this year. This will be a blowout win, decisive win. Uh, I think the only thing coming out of it for AM, health is important, but obviously progression towards getting ready for the, the big schedule, which is about as tough as any in the country. Yeah, don't see a lot of cause for concern there against – Texas State, but yeah, staying staying healthy. Um, no games on Friday, but then Saturday, Toledo at Kentucky. Yeah, it's going to be a dangerous game. This Toledo team's well coached. Um, you know, Jason Candle's a really good coach. His teams play really hard. Uh, this is a rebuilding Kentucky team. Benny Snell is gone. Josh Allen is gone. Both of those guys playing well, particularly Allen uh, in Jacksonville now. Um, can they get more out of the passing game? Um, Toledo's got a couple of good tight ends. They work the tight end, really good backfield. Uh, this is a pretty good unit. The defense, though, I have concerns about for Toledo. I think Kentucky wins it here. Uh, it's not going to be the same type of season for Kentucky. I think they're going to go bowling. I think that uh, Mark Stoops does a really good job, but you don't just – reload at Kentucky you have to kind of rebuild and redevelop some other options and they just lost some key guys they're going to need and count more uh, on Terry Wilson to be more of a playmaker this year I think Kentucky wins it might be a little tougher than people might think so moving over to another game uh, first SEC team that we're going to cover that is an underdog this week Ole Miss heads to Liberty Bowl Memorial Stadium in Memphis, Tennessee. What do you think about this one? I tell you what, this game is the most intriguing outside of Auburn, Oregon, among the SEC games. I think this is really going to be good. Uh, this this Memphis team is not only dangerous, um, I think they may be the better team here. I think it's going to take every bit that Ole Miss has and a little more to win this game. Um, I think Ole Miss will be able to move the football on Memphis's defense. Uh, I think their secondary in Memphis is not that good, uh, but neither is Ole Miss's defense. I think this is going to be an up-and-down-the-field type of game. Um, Memphis can throw. They can run. Um, their their pass protection is pretty solid, so I think they'll have time to make plays. I think this is a high-scoring game. I think it's a shootout. I think it's going to be – you know, it's going to fit into these early season games where you see the offenses and spreading the ball out. Uh, I, I think both of these defenses, because they're not very good, they're going to be out of position. Um, and I think they're going to make some mistakes. I, I uh, listen, I'm not quite sure what the over under is, but I'm thinking take the over. <laughs> I don't get into betting advice. I'm kidding. But I just think that there's going to be a lot of points in this game uh, unless there's a bunch of turnovers. And I like Memphis to beat Ole Miss in the Liberty Bowl. Just a close one. Just a close matchup. I'm not quite even sure. I think Memphis is favorite in this game. 
Yeah, about five, five and a half points. Wow, I didn't realize it was that much. And and that over under is high too. I think I still like the over there. I'm somewhat of a, a degenerate, but um, <laughs> he says. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's set at sixty seven and a half. Um, so a lot of points there. Looking at like a, you know, what's that? Like a thirty to thirty five matchup, something like thirty I, I, to thirty eight, something like I, that. I think it takes forty. Think it's going to take a forty burger to win this game. I do. I don't. I think. I think you score thirty five. You finish second in this game. I do. I, I was hoping. I think spe- it's forty. Speaking of that, I was hoping for a forty burger in uh, Orlando this weekend. I was hoping they were going to be served, but Florida, <laughs> Florida got the win anyway. So little big three roll up joke there. So, um, all right, Mississippi State. Little news around that program this week. They travel to – actually, that game is going to be in Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Uh, they play Louisiana. Uh, yeah, it's going to be Louisiana. Cajun. The Raging Cajuns. Gosh, I can't keep up with the name changes. I still think of them as USL, University of Southwestern Louisiana. They changed it to Louisiana Lafayette. Now they just – Louisiana – you know, I, I, I call them ULL just to, just to irritate them because uh, all the changes. But um, first of all, the Mississippi State got the news and the news drop. I think it was Friday. They have been hit with the probation. They'll lose a few scholarships, not a bull ban. It involves a it's involved tutorial help with taking online chemistry classes. Um, been asked about it. Look, I mean, I talked, visited with the coaches a little bit about it. I mean, they're disappointed, frustrated. Uh, it's not ideal. Anytime you have that, it is not something that's going to be debilitating to the program. Uh, but listen, it'll, it'll reduce the number of their on-campus visits and recruiting and, uh, some of their scholarships by about four a year for the next few years. Um, as far as this game, look, this, this Mississippi state team is one of the more intriguing teams in the league this year. The defense lost a lot of talent, but they still got some good talent coming back. I'm not going to make the case. They're going to be as good. Cause I don't think they will be personnel wise, but I still think they're going to be good. I think the running game will be good. They're going to start, uh, obviously, Tommy Stevens. Uh, and by the way, it didn't take long for Keaton Thompson to, to get out of town, didn't he? Um, I, it's just what can the offense do? What can Joe Moorhead get out of the offense? You know, last year it was a little, you know, square peg around the hole. Uh, he really professes and preaches the passing game. What's this passing game going to look like? It's one of the more intriguing storylines for me, just from a strategic standpoint within the league. So that's, that is very intriguing. We're not going to learn a lot. I think they're going to run the football a lot in this game. They're facing one of the worst run defenses in the country in my mind. Um, but I think they're going to work a little bit of this, this, um, uh, this, this passing game as well. I think this is a blowout game. I, I think it's, I don't know the margin will be significant in my mind. I think it's it's an important game for Mississippi State to get on the right foot as they've got a not not in danger of like on the hot seat danger of losing his job danger, but there's a lot of growing frustration about is Joe Moorhead the right fit for the job. Uh, I think it's a little early, but I will say this. He's got to fix some things offensively, and I think it needs to start this year. Yeah, so from one blowout to another, uh, Duke in Alabama. Uh, Alabama, the number two team in the country. 
35-point favorites in Atlanta, um, a, a place they go and win often. What are your thoughts there around that game? Well, a couple of things I'm looking at is I want to see the young guys play on defense. DJ Dale, who I think is a special young uh, defensive lineman, uh, defensive tackle. I want to see how many of those guys play early, how many snaps they get. Um, like every year they're having to replenish their defensive line. They've got talent, but they've got to develop those guys in their system. I think the linebackers are going to be good. I think the secondary is going to be outstanding. Uh, I think it's the best, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a great defense. We'll be a better defense this year than last year. I think offensively, they're going to be awfully tough to stop. I think they're going to be more of a line of scrimmage type of team come off the ball, smashing the mouth in the run game type of team. I think they're going to throw it with all those receivers, no doubt, but a lot of play action, maybe less RPOs. We'll see. So that's what I'm kind of looking at. I don't know that we're going to see a, a lot of different styles and looks because I think we're going to see a fundamental discipline butt whooping here. But the thing about Duke is Duke's going to be sound. Duke's going to play well. They're going to be in position. They're just going to get overwhelmed athletically in this game. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't imagine that goes down any different there in Atlanta. Uh, another one that we talked about, another ACC-SEC matchup. South Carolina at North Carolina. Does the SEC go 2-0? Uh, really 3-0 if, if you think about that Week 0 match. I think... South Carolina is, should win this game. They definitely should, and I think they will. South Carolina is more talented at the line of scrimmage. They're deeper and better, more athletic at the line of scrimmage. Um, got an experienced quarterback. Uh, I don't think they're going to be playing from behind in this game, so um, I think he should be settled a little bit. North Carolina is going to be starting the freshman, Sam Howell. They've got some playmakers, got some guys at receiver, um, you got some guys at running back. Don't like North Carolina defensively. That's going to have to come in recruiting. This is a game. Let's talk about must wins. I, I don't know. We kind of overplay that, but this is a game Will Muschamp can't lose. I mean, this is a game you can only lose with a lack of discipline or a lack of coaching because really North Carolina does not have enough to beat South Carolina. It would have to be a South Carolina loss, plain and simple. Yeah, so a couple couple other games that we'll get to. Georgia State at Tennessee. Tennessee coming off a pretty rough year last year, but probably should get off to a pretty comfortable 1-0 start here, huh? Yeah, no doubt about it. This Georgia State team is not going to offer much resistance, which you hope Tennessee gets out of it is a little confidence and health. Um, look, I mean, you know, I, 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 I was – you know, the talking to some was asked a couple of questions about Tennessee and they're sitting there and, and, um, saying, well, boy, we saw Florida play. We got a good chance. And I'm saying, uh, your defensive line, a scrimmage, uh, you're not as good as Miami right now. Tennessee's very young on the lines of scrimmage offensively and defensively. They've got some skill, uh, and some veteran skill, uh, but their play at the line of scrimmage is going to have to grow up in a hurry it won't be a factor in this game, but going forward is going to be pivotal. So look for the Vols to get off to a good start and at least build some momentum and uh, see if they can become uh, a competitive team in some of those bigger games and maybe get to the point where you know you can beat the teams that you typically historically beat, which is 
Van, the likes of Vanderbilt, which they haven't beaten in three years. So um, that, to me, is going to be the key. They're not where Florida is, and they're certainly not where Georgia is, and I don't think they're even the third-best team in the East. I think Missouri is. Um, but, you know, can you – I think South Carolina is better at the line of scrimmage in Tennessee. So it's a, it's a building process for Jeremy – but for them, I think it's important that they play well and wins the games they're supposed to. And if they do that, they're going bowling, and it's the next step in the program. But they get off the big one here or, you know, a, a nice win against a, a weaker opponent in Georgia State uh, in Neyland Stadium. Speaking of wins that they're supposed to get, there aren't many on Arkansas' schedule, but there probably is this weekend. Talking about Arkansas welcoming Portland State to Fayetteville. Yeah, listen um, – this Arkansas offense, I think, is going to be better. How much better? Don't know. Uh, it is going to be more scrimmage-like in this game. They've got to get ready for Ole Miss next week. Um, they'll win this game. Uh, they they couldn't do anything last year uh, defensively. Uh, they couldn't stop anybody in the passing game. Um, we'll get into it next week, but Ole Miss-Arkansas, can anybody stop the other next week? We're going to start to see a little bit of the dynamic. Ole Miss has a tougher opponent, as we said, with Memphis. Arkansas will come in at 1-0. and We'll see what Ole Miss comes into the game with. But uh, it's like what defense can stand up. This week, they might be able to do it. But offensively, Arkansas should have a field date, score a bunch of points. This Portland State secondary is really poor and devoid of talent. So here's a big one, probably the number – well, no, the, the second-best team in the conference, the third-best team in the country. Georgia travels to Vanderbilt. Uh, pretty big spread here. UGA is a 22-and-a-half-point favorite in Nashville. Uh, can Vandy keep this close for a half? Can they stick around at all? Or is it just guns blazing from the beginning? Well, I think the key is going to be to keep it and maybe make it somewhat competitive in the second half is – can they get anything done with their pass rush pressure? Uh, I think they're going to have to manufacture pressure. I don't think they've got enough pass rush, certainly not against this Georgia offensive line, which is the best in the SEC and the best in the country. No, I don't, I don't think there will be enough there for Vanderbilt. Line of scrimmage teams will control games, even when the, the scoreboard not, may not indicate that you're in control. I think this is going to be a line of scrimmage control game, but I do think that they can play well enough in the first half to keep in competitive, but uh, we'll see on that. I, I think that what they're going to do is try to load up the front and force Georgia to throw the football. And, you know, I think we'll see Jake Fromm and that receiving core that everybody's doubting make some plays against this Vanderbilt defense. And then I expect Georgia to be able to run the football and control this game and kind of pull away. Missouri heads out to Wyoming. Any concern here for the Tigers or no? No, I don't see that. Um, I just don't think Wyoming's got enough offense to make this competitive. Um, and, you know, I think this Missouri defense is – Missouri defense is underrated. The secondary's got really solid play. They do a good job schematically up front. Um, you know, I just – I think the defense of Wyoming will be pretty defend, uh, pretty decent, but you know, um, 
if it was a later game, like one of those games prior to rivalry week and, you know, in Laramie that time of year, I've been to many a game out in Laramie in November and it's a, you know, snow flurries where you can't even see not, not any snow yet. Um, I think it's a pretty good defensive line that Wyoming has, but I still like the Missouri's offensive line a little bit better. I don't see Wyoming getting enough of a pass rush, and we'll see the debut of Kelly Bryant, how that looks. I think too much offense for Missouri and not enough offense for Wyoming. Tell me about Georgia Southern traveling to Baton Rouge, coming to your hometown, or I don't know if you guys are – if you're hosting them there at the Palace or or what you're doing, but uh... – Tell me about that matchup, Georgia Southern well, going to the Tigers. It's always a style matchup, and to see the option, we're not going to see Georgia Southern throw the football a whole lot. So what you're going to see is a different look at schematic approach where they got to play numbers in the box. Here's the key for LSU. It's it's about gap discipline against opponent an opponent like this. Don't try to penetrate, get upfield, and make plays and get out of position. You've got to stay home, control your gap, uh, and not give any escape lanes for their backs. Um, they, they run a lot of um, um, cutback runs uh, out of the option look. They get you blocked going in the direction you want to go. So the, the real key is that can LSU's defensive front stay home, not be over-aggressive, and run themselves out of play. Uh, I, I think LSU's offense is going to have a lot of success against Georgia Southern. So, no, um, I don't think LSU's because of the style – they're not going to be looking ahead to Texas, maybe as much as, say, Texas might be looking ahead to LSU as they got Louisiana Tech this week. Look for the Tigers to win and eventually win this game decisively. So then the big matchup, maybe one of the best matchups of the weekend in all of college football, uh, Oregon and Auburn. Before we break this one down, let me bring on Joseph Yoon from Addicted to Quack, the Oregon SB Nation site. Let's get his thoughts and then I want to hear from you, and then we'll wrap this up. Sound good? Sounds great. Welcome back to the SEC Football Show. Again, this is TJ Pittenger here with Chris Landry. We have a special guest from AddictedToQuack.com, the Oregon Ducks SB Nation affiliate. We have Joseph Yoon joining us for a few minutes today to talk about this Oregon-Auburn matchup, one of the biggest matchups of the weekend. Joseph, how's it going, man? Appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's going pretty good. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Joseph, a little bit of, uh, if you could kind of share with us a little bit of the mood around campus, around the football program, obviously in particular, is uh, it always, as a coach, I always felt like, when you had a game like this to start the season, it, it put a little extra juice in your step and your preparation in your off-season program. But I'm curious to see kind of the mindset that Mario and his staff has. Um, I think I know Mario well enough to know, but I'm curious to see kind of the mood around there. How do they feel about, you know, going in and taking an SEC team and giving their shot? And how do they – How did, what's the mood around the program – around the Oregon football community as they get ready for this game? I would say uh, I would say it's a bit of a bit of nervous excitement and optimism because we've been in big games before and they haven't turned out well for the Ducks lately. So it's kind of a bit of nervousness and excitement at the same time. Can you give us an update injury-wise? Anything 
that's out there that should be, you know, concerned or a, a definitive one way or the other on on the Oregon's injury status? Um, mostly everybody's healthy out of fall camp, but unfortunately we uh, we suffered an injury to our two of our wide receivers, right. Brendan Silver and um, uh, Micah Pittman, who was a highly rated freshman coming to high school, but they're ex- both expected to miss six to eight weeks, so we've been knowing that for a couple of weeks now, so they've been game planning around that. So, Otherwise, we're mostly healthy. What do you think, uh, and, and just kind of visiting with the coaches, and they're not going to share game plans and whatnot, but what, what do you think is really the key? Uh, obviously, you know, we can talk about handling the moment of a big game and all that. I, I think that'll be fine, but uh, how do you think they match up? What do they need to do in the early stages of this game to kind of get it going in their favor? They, well, they need to control the line of scrimmage because Auburn's defensive front uh, consider one of the best in the country with uh, Derek Brown, and who should have been a high first-round pick last year, but he came out of school, and Nick Coe and Marlon Davison hanging around. So they have to control the line of scrimmage with their top-rated offensive line to have any chance. That sounds good. Yeah. Uh, what um, – just in terms of the, the passing attack – uh, obviously, you mentioned Auburn's defensive front's really good. I think their secondary is very underrated. Do you get the sense they feel like they can throw the football uh, on Auburn? Uh, obviously, you got to have good balance against a defense like that. But what do you think uh, is the key in terms of getting some success going in the passing game? I would uh, I would exploit the tight end matchups they have with uh, with Cameron McDonald or yeah McCormick rather McCormick. And uh, Jacob Breland, they're our top two receiving options returning from last year. And uh, because Auburn's linebacker unit, they, uh, from what I've noticed in film study, they couldn't cover. So they would have to go to the tight end a bunch because our receivers are fairly new, except for our graduate transfer, Jawan Johnson, which he came from uh, Penn State. He was targeted a lot during the spring games. So I expect that connection with Herbert to work a ton. And finally, for me, on the defensive side, um, what are the real concerns going into this game? Uh, anything in terms of the secondary? And do they feel comfortable on that end, being able to match up? Um, how do you see things on that side of the ball? I think uh, Oregon would win the secondary battle because uh, they have a bunch of experience returning and uh, a sophomore safety named Javon Holland. Mm-hmm. He was one of the highly rated safeties coming to high school last year, and he really did well as a freshman. And uh, so our corners are Thomas Graham Jr. and Demondor Lenoir, and they've been starting as freshmen, so they're battle-tested. So I expect the Oregon secondary to win that matchup. Do you see this being high scoring, low scoring? Like, What kind of vibe do you feel this game is going to have to it? I think it's going to be like a low-scoring affair because it's opening week and uh, that both teams are going to be rusty and you know not feeling it at first. But yeah, <clears throat> yeah. And then, do you? What is the? Well, I guess I'll just ask this: Have you? Have you? If you're saving this for any kind of article or anything, I can kind of hold off. But. What are your, you know, do you do you think Auburn wins? Do you have any kind of a score in mind? Do you think Oregon wins? Like, what what's your 
kind of thought you're feeling here at this neutral site matchup? Well, I think that Auburn wins. Uh, my unbiased, my unbiased feeling is that Auburn wins because of their defensive front is going to be too much for the offensive line to handle. So my score prediction would be Auburn twenty-four, Oregon seventeen. All right, I like I like getting somebody on here that covers a team and doesn't just pick them every time. That you, you might be the first to, <laughs> to break that mold. Uh, are you going yeah. out to Dallas? Are you watching it at home? Do you have anything planned for that? Uh, I'm probably gonna be watching it at home or with friends that are Auburn friends. <laughs> oh goodness! Oh really? Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, th- and then I'll ask you this, and we'll we'll get you out of here. I don't want to keep you too long, but you've got a little bit of an interesting story. You're, uh, I don't want to give too much away here, but I believe you're a little bit of a fan of FSU as well. So the the Rose Bowl in 2014, the Willie Taggart stuff that's happened, th- that's got to be pretty weird for you. We were just texting about it. How did you become an Oregon fan and slightly an FSU fan, and, and how is that – how has that gone down? Who did you root for in 2014? Uh, tell me a little about that. Uh, originally growing up, I was a Florida State man because of the Bobby Bowden years. And then when Oregon came came on or in the early 2000s, I became they I've adopted them as my uh, West Coast team. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the Roswell was kind of funny, <laughs> but I, I rooted for FSU in that one. I guess you got you, you got to love a guy that has an East Coast team and a West Coast team. Yeah. He stays busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, now you're on this East Coast, so that's brutal to have to stay up for all the late games. I'm sure you're thankful that this game is being played at 7:30 Eastern, aren't you? As opposed to 10 or 11 o'clock. Yeah, the 3 a.m. Sunday mornings are not not fun. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I'm with you there, man. I can feel you. I have to deal with that every every week, too. <laughs> man, every time. Yeah, uh, no. Sorry, go ahead. The game last week was um, entertaining, but not good for my sleep schedule. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Every Not every time, but it seems like every time there is a big game uh, for either of your teams, it's against Auburn. You know, the national championship for, for both Oregon and Florida State, this game here, uh, and then obviously the two teams played each other. So I'm sure you're about sick of seeing the Auburn Tigers at this point. So, um well, cool. Joseph, I appreciate you coming on, man, and talking for us for about 10 minutes today. Um, tell the people where they can find you, where they can follow you, find your work, and um, we'd be happy to kind of share all that as well. Okay. Uh, my personal Twitter is DuckingNoles247. It, it's a play on both teams. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then the site Twitter is uh, Addicted to Quack, and I write for AddictedToQuack.com. You got to win some kind of award for that name, addicted to the quack. So that 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 has to be one of the more uh, comical names. That sounds good. Hey, great job, Joseph. Really appreciate the insight and your time, man. Uh, no problem. Thank you for having me. You bet. Thanks, bud. Appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Appreciate Joseph coming on, talking a little bit of Oregon football with us, talking about that matchup. You guys go follow him. Go follow addicted to the quack. Um, but tell me what you think uh, here, Chris. Tell me about this matchup here in Dallas, well, in Arlington and AT&T Stadium. Um, tell me what you think out of this Oregon-Auburn 
matchup? Well, th- there's a big picture aspect to this game, and it's Oregon, Pac-12, the lack of success by them and the Pac-12 in these type of games. Washington, of course, didn't fare very well against Auburn last year. Um, Oregon is right near the top of the Pac-12. They're the most athletic team in the Pac-12 right now. Um, I do think they've got a very good offensive line. I do like Auburn's defensive front in the matchup a little bit better. Uh, You're dealing with a veteran quarterback in Justin Herbert with a freshman quarterback in Bo Nix. Still, I like Auburn's matchup personnel-wise. I think that Auburn's because Oregon's going to have to play numbers in the box, I think that Auburn's receivers have a distinct advantage over Oregon's secondary because I don't think they can handle a man-to-man. I think they can they can play a two-deep shell and have success, but I don't think they're going to be able to do that. I think against this Auburn's run game, I think they're going to have to commit more numbers to the box. That's the real key for Auburn's success defensively. Can they defend the run without putting extra numbers in the box? If they can, they can have a success of slowing down this offense. If they can't, then I think Auburn will be able to control the pace of the game and be able to run the football downhill and have a lot of success. Defensively, I think Auburn is going to put a lot of pressure. Justin Herbert's been a guy that has been a little bit of a question decision, questionable decision maker. Uh, Oregon is down a couple of receivers, particularly one really good one that was going to be a starter. Um, I think this Auburn, this, this Auburn defense is going to cause a lot of problems for Oregon. I think Oregon's going to score some points. Um, I give Oregon a shot here, but I give Auburn a better shot. I think they win it. I don't think it's a high-scoring game, um, but I think it's a, a fourth-quarter game that it, Auburn eventually imposes their will on Oregon. Yeah, I tend to agree there. I think Auburn ends up winning the game. I I just don't know that Oregon has quite enough. I think that just kind of like Joseph said, I, I think that you know even with his biases, he, he kind of looks for Auburn to win this. Big, big difference in the trenches, and so we'll see. Uh, we'll see if if Oregon can, but I, I kind of like Auburn to take care of it too. So, and and I want to remind everybody too for even more detailed analysis of all of these games in every conference all around the country. Go to LandryFootball.com. We've got a little bit more time in the breakdowns to get to you than we do here, but uh, just wanted to throw that out there and reminder. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, hey, I, I appreciate you hanging out this week, Chris. I think this was a good. Uh, look around, uh, a recap of, of week zero in the Florida-Miami game, and then a look around the uh, the conference at the games that were coming up. And I can't wait to be back next week to recap all of these games and then look forward to the uh, the games that will be next week. Some big ones that week. We I know that, you know, looking ahead already, I know that Texas A&M and, and Clemson's a big one that a lot of people are going to be focused on and, and have eyes on, and I know there's some other ones too that that we'll get to. But uh, appreciate you hanging out this week. If uh, if you guys have any questions, continue to submit those. I know a lot of times we save those for the end, but I thought they were kind of relevant to to the matchup that we were talking about. And uh, man, another great week being with you, Chris. Can't wait till next one. Hey, look forward to it. Thanks for having me. Talk to you again next week. Thanks, bud.
Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.